Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now listen, when this show is over at 2 o'clock, don't go anywhere. Don't you dare turn that dial because my friend Steve Thompson is coming on from 2 to 3. And then he's got Twins Magazine. I love Twins Magazine because Steve has all the clips and highlights and insights on everything Twins baseball. That's from 3 to 4.30. Then we've got the Twins pregame at 4.30 right before the first pitch. We are at the Cleveland Guardians today. And I have to tell you, anytime the Twins play Cleveland, there is a, a, a civil unrest at my house because Sean is from Cleveland. I um, am from Minnesota, but I love me some Twins baseball. And then uh, Correa's here. That's my boo. So he can't be rooting um, against my boo. So we always have a difficult um, thing going on over here uh, whenever the Twins play the Cleveland Guardians. So be sure to stick around. Steve's on from 2 to 3. Then Steve's on from two, 3 to 4.30 for the Twins Magazine. Then the Twins pregame at 4.30. And then the Twins play the Cleveland Guardians all right here on your good neighbor station. So keep, keep cleaning out the garage. Keep running your errands. And keep it right here for Twins Baseball. And, you know, I was up in Duluth um, a couple weeks ago. Um, they had a big mental health children's conference. And they asked me to speak. And I, I was so honored um, that the team reached out to me and, and asked me to be a part of the program. And so instead of a TED Talk, they have something called a Med Talk. And so I just spoke from my real world experience of having a child on the spectrum, um, you know, that, that I had to fight for services for. Um, and, and then having another child on the spectrum and then another child on the spectrum. And then how I became an advocate for other parents and what therapists and counselors and educators can do to help parents along the autism journey that they take with their children. And and so, um, you know, when my talk was over, I just really um, enjoyed meeting the people who were there. 1,900 people there, all dedicated to children's mental health. Um, and, And we exchange cards and some of us have gone out to lunch already. But I had the most interesting phone call with uh, Jacqueline Nguel. Uh, She is with Northwood Children's Services. And and Jacqueline was talking to me about Northwood and the services that they provide and, you know, the mental health crisis um, that is happening with our children. And and the one thing that got me, um, that struck me, out of everybody that I've met and that I've talked to um, and, and that I've been in communication with since that conference in Duluth, She said, there's always been a mental health concern, an issue with our children, a crisis. COVID just shined the light on that. 
And I said, Bone Girlfriend, you got to be a guest on the Shaletta Show because we have got to talk about that. And she is joining us now, courtesy of the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Jacqueline, thank you so much for being on the program. And thank you for uh, making the time to chat with me at the conference and then, you know, agreeing to speak with me. And we've talked by phone. I feel like we're girlfriends now because, um, you know, those conversations that we've had and, you know, that time on the phone, we didn't do a Zoom call. We were just like old school girlfriend, pick up the phone line, mm-hmm. call me on the phone call, call. Um, and, and so they just made me have to focus and listen in to everything that you were saying. And when you start talking about it being a mental health crisis and this ain't new and everybody's jumping through hoops and, and sounding alarms. But, you know, you and the team at Northwood Children's Service, y'all been sounding the alarm for a while. Why is it that the rest of us are just now waking up to this? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show, Shaletta, and bringing up this really important topic. And, you know, when you had said that COVID kind of shed a light on something that's always been prevalent and always been there, COVID really has intensified the issue of mental health for children because it also intensified the issue issue of mental health for their guardians and parents. And so the thing is, is COVID touched all races, all religions, all levels of education, and all socioeconomic statuses. And that, I think, is what made people go, oh, wow, this is a big deal. We've got ERs that can't meet the need of all these kids who are in crisis. We've got um, bed issues with there's no places in these residential places for, you know, six to nine months, almost a year wait. What are we going to do? How do we get our children the care and the help that they need right now? Because it's a right now problem, but it's an always problem. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, and and I guess because we didn't, I just think, I don't know, this is me talking. I don't even think we cared enough. We were just going through the motions before COVID. We were dropping the kids off at school. We were picking them up. We were asking them how their day was. We never took the time to say, how you really feeling? You know what? You know, you seem sad. You know, I, I know one time my son had to pick my head up. Um, and make me look at him. But I think that when the world shut down and forced us to all go in our neutral corners and we had to spend time with our own kids and they weren't going to baseball and football and school and uh, track and, and, and camp, we actually had to look at our kids and we realized, oh, hell, it's something going on. I didn't see it before, but we got to do something about it now. And we were forced to pay attention to that. Well, Shaletta, what do they always say? It takes a what to raise a child? Village, a whole village, girl. We lost our village. Our village went away because we couldn't be around Mm. our village because we might make our village sick. Mm. Mm. Girl. When you take away that family support, when you take away your neighbors that you rely on, when you take away those friends because they can't physically be there for you and you have to do everything over a screen, you miss some of those nuances, you miss that look away, that glance, the shoulders are kind of shrugged down, they're not making eye contact. Mm-hmm. Those nonverbals tell you a lot of times, how is your child really doing? When they say fine, you can tell as a mother, can't you? Yeah, and and well, you know what, I if I can't tell, yeah, if I can't tell, somebody else could tell. And like you said, we lost that village and we lost mm-hmm. a handle on how our kids um, were doing. We lost a handle on 
even how to help them because the the normal things that we would do come on we're gonna go let you spend some time with your grandpa let's go fishing uh you know let's work on this car together you know we got to protect our elders so you can't go over there with your grandpa uh you can't go hang out at your friend's house because you know you love his dad and he's like an uncle to you um you know it was just so much isolation and and you know like you said the numbers for kids who were experiencing uh, mental health crisis just you know they were exacerbated during COVID and the hospitals were full of people battling COVID and, and fighting for their lives and they were you know full of, of young people teenagers who you know were fighting for their lives in an entirely different way mm-hmm. and it, it really shed light on some of the issues with accessibility to services mental health services it shed some light on funding for mm-hmm. mental health services and it really sheds some light on how hurt our children really are, mm. especially when things open back up and people were able to kind of, you know, come back out and be back in with their village. That's, I think, when people started to realize the impact. Yeah. On, and on now, mental health. talk to me because somebody just texted me. They said, what is Northwood Children's Services? So because <laughs> because we just got to talking and I didn't even back up and, and tell them who you were and, and what Northwood uh, Children's Services was all about. Because, like I said, we met a couple of weeks ago in Duluth at a children's mental health conference. And, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, when I found out about the work that you were doing and how you are helping uh, young people and their families uh, navigate um, their crises, their challenges with mental health, I thought, yeah, we got to get you on the show because somebody's going to need to know about the work you're doing. So tell us all about Northwood Children's Services. All right. Well, I'll try to give you the short and sweet. We are a mental health facility that's been around for over 140 years in Duluth, Minnesota. We operate mental health programs that are robust continuums of care, starting from psychiatric residential treatment where the children live there, all the way down to outpatient services with skills and therapy, kids coming in for an hour therapy session, you know, that type of mental health. So we have psychiatric residential treatment, we have residential treatment, we have corporate foster homes, we have a 35-day evaluation program, day treatment on and off-site. So we have two campuses, one in the east side of Duluth by College Street and one in the west end. Um, We also have some day treatment programs embedded into our, pro, our public schools with ISD 709 and then our outpatient skills and therapy. So we try to have a myriad of services so we can be the right service at the right time for these kids and families. And we know that sometimes they need to tune up, and that's great. Just like your car needs to go back in for an oil change every once in a while mm-hmm. or something's wrong, you go in, you get the level of care you need taken care of, and then you move forward. So. That's what we hope to be for the children and families that we serve, ages 2 to 21. Now, how can folks find you before you get out of here? Um, And I thank you so much for spending a part of your Saturday with us to tell us all about Northwood Children's Services. But there's somebody out there whose young person needs you. How can they reach you? They can go to our website, northwoodchildren.org. And you can see all of our programs there. You can see also what it looks like inside our programs. We have a 360-view videos and pictures of what we do. Our job is to make sure kids feel safe and cared for and that families feel comfortable working um, with the, the adults that they're going to be entrusting their children with. 
So we hope that people check out the website and feel free to give us a call and get in touch. If, if we can well, be of service, we would love to. Well, thank you for the service you provide for children and their families. And thank you for being here with us today. Uh, Jacqueline Inguel with Northwood Children's Services has been joining us courtesy of the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Up next is DEI Dad. We'll find out. It is 122. You are listening to the Shaletta Show on News Talk 830 WCCO Radio, your good neighbor station. Now, I read an article um, in the Washington Post, and it said DEI is dead. Diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that swept through this country uh, after George Floyd died. Um, companies were hiring DEI executives left and right. Uh, they were pushing out initiatives and, and, and statements and news releases about one thing or another that they were doing. And now we are seeing those DEI executives, those jobs, those positions that were created um, to create a more inclusive and diverse work environment. They're being eliminated. And even more, um, there are lawsuits throughout this country, including some here in Minnesota that are um, holding companies accountable for things that they said they were going to do after the murder of George Floyd to create a more equitable community that haven't been done. Y'all know, y'all seen me. I've been out there fighting, whether it is the politicians or it is Target or it is General Mills saying you made these promises after George Floyd died. This is not a shakedown. This is an accountability thing. Where are the receipts? Did you do what you said you were going to do? And if not, it's time to get it done. If you didn't want to do it, you shouldn't have said it because we're holding you accountable. And so as people have this discussion um, about DEI being dead, I thought I'd talk to Keisha Powell. She's the Director of Equity and Inclusion at Children's Minnesota, and she is on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Now, Keisha, I know that you've seen the same articles that I have um, because you are um, immersed in um, this uh, this this. Um, uh, trying to make sure that workplaces, especially Children's Minnesota, is um, inclusive for all people, for all Minnesotans. Um, and our children um, are especially important and, and so vulnerable. And, and Children's Minnesota does a good job of making sure that um, they have the representation and, and how much it matters to have uh, diverse books, to have a diverse staff. Um, do, you know, as you travel through these DEI spaces, are you hearing conversations that DEI is dead? What's your take on that? Well, first off, Shaletta, thank you so much for having me on your show this afternoon. I'm super excited to be here to talk a little bit about this work. And to answer your first question, in different spaces and places, I've heard from various individuals um, different perspectives and takes. Some individuals, as you just mentioned, are just starting the journey. Some are still stuck trying to determine where do they even start and how do they get their leadership and organization buy-in. And then some individuals that Children's Minnesota has had an opportunity to engage with are really excited about the work that we're doing here locally and how can they replicate those efforts as well. And so, you know, as you're traveling through these spaces, what are some of the programs that you find at Children's Minnesota that's working that other people um, are saying, hey, how are y'all doing that? Hey, we want to get that done. Um, because, you know, it's not like we're reinventing the wheel. We're just trying to make it right. We're trying to right the ship. And, and folks are looking to you 
Keisha, they're looking to the work that, you know, you all are doing there and, and they're trying to implement that in other parts of the country. Absolutely. So a couple of key highlights for you, Shaletta, as I think about the work at Children's Minnesota, our diversity, equity, and inclusion work is actually embedded into our overall annual operating plan and cascaded in every part of the organization. As you think about what you had just described earlier, as far as even diversifying the workforce to mirror the patient populations in which we serve, we have an intentional focus on our talent attraction areas, excuse me, and even expanding our outreach to not only look at locally within community, but how are we drawing from other parts of the geographic spaces to attract the talent to, with the right skill set to really be impactful for the patient care that we're looking to exude. We also, as we think about our health equity focus, utilize a health equity score, excuse me, um, scorecard to really think about where are we noticing gaps and opportunities and where do we maybe need to pivot our processes to really make sure that we're providing that optimal experience for all patients and creating that inclusive environment. And then lastly, as we think about local businesses, how are we being impactful within the communities by supporting local minority businesses and really having an intentional focus on our supplier diversity efforts so that we're leveraging not only business within communities to support them, but allowing them to be impactful in the overall experience that we provide for our patients and family. And, you know, that's what I was telling somebody just yesterday. I was talking to a group in Woodbury, and I said, it has to be intentional. You have to come in here. I was at a therapy center. I said, you have to come in here and open the bucket of dolls that you have for these kids to play with. And if there are not any black or brown or Asian dolls, then you got to go buy some. Uh, Sunni Lee has a doll. Uh, the whole damn Encanto uh, 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 team has dolls. Uh, Barbie has all kinds of dolls and, and all kinds of colors. So if you go in and you have, um, you know, the dress ups and, and you open the box of dress ups and there's no characters uh, uh, that they can dress up like if you have instruments and, and you don't have any Cuban drums or maracas or you don't have any um, African flutes, then include those things. It has to be something that you think about. It just doesn't happen. It's not magic. And so I, I know that you all put in a lot of work at Children's Minnesota. And I thank you so much for, um, you know, how you are intentional about making sure these efforts aren't just, you know, something you talk about, but it's, it's a it's a lifestyle and and you guys walk that every day. Absolutely. And I will also share with you that a lot of the work that we do and the processes that we've implemented, Shaletta, is really hearing for the voice of our customers, which is our patients and families. So we definitely are receptive to the feedback. What you just described, ensuring that we have different policies, practices, resources in place so that we're meeting the needs of where each individual are and not just assuming that we know what those needs are, but really soliciting that voice from our customer. Well, we have been talking to Miss Keisha Powell, Diversity of Equity and Inclusion at Children's Minnesota on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Thank you for spending some of your Saturday with us. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. Have a great day. And coming up, if you don't know how to swim, don't feel like you're alone. Me either. I don't. I never learned. Why? I can't tell you. But not only do I not know how to swim, my mother doesn't know how to swim. My grandmother, my great-grandmother didn't know either. But there's a group out there that's working to fix that. We'll talk to them coming up.
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I've never learned how to swim. I don't know why. We just would never pull people. But then when my son Daniel, who is a wanderer and has autism, would run out, it would just terrify me. We are in the land of 10,000 lakes. And I've got to know how to rescue my child if he jumps in a body of water. And you all have probably heard about, um, in one news story or another, a child who has autism who's drowned. They are drawn, some, some autistic kids are drawn to water. I will never forget that day I went out to Edina and heard that mother screaming. Because her nonverbal two-year-old child had slipped away from them at a park went to a nearby lake and drowned. I was there. I was there. And I thought, I do not want this to be me. I need to learn how to swim so that if my child gets away from me and something happens, I can get to him and save him. So when I heard about Nakara Forge's, uh, she is the founder of the Deep End Challenge. When I heard about what she was doing later this month on the 12th and the 13th at Creekview Park in Minneapolis, I thought I better ask her to come on this show to talk about the Deep End Challenge and how folks can participate. And Nakara is joining us courtesy of the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Nakara, thank you so much for being on the Shaletta Show. Thank you for having me. Now, tell me exactly what is the Deep End Challenge? So the Deep End Challenge is part workshop, um, part swim lessons, specifically for black women and girls. Um, We talk a lot through our mental blocks, um, family traumas, our relationship with the water, and we relate that to swim principles. So we take the energy from the classroom to the pool, and we're finding that it works. A lot of black women are in our heads. Um, we need to be in a safe space to learn. Um, we need culturally relevant material, and so we bring all of that energy to the pool. Okay, now tell me, when is this going to be? I want to make sure everybody has the details. Yes, ma'am. So our next adult cohort is May 12th and 13th, uh, Friday and Saturday at Creekview. Uh, we meet that evening from uh, 5 to 9, and then that Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. So it's a two-day cohort. Okay. And now how can people participate? Where do they go? Yes, ma'am. So you can uh, visit my website, www.nakaraforje.com. That's N-A-K-A-R-A-F-O-R-J-E.com. Um, I have a tab for the Deep End Challenge specifically. You can register there. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, Nakara Forge, um, or Nakara White. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm posting about it all the time. Check out my social media, Nakara Forge, on all platforms. Um, yeah, very excited to do this work. Very excited to see more black women and girls learning how to swim. We got to break the trauma around the water. 
Yes, we do. And you are doing such an amazing job with that. Don't forget, the founder of the Deep End Challenge will be there May 12th, 5 to 9 p.m. and May 13th, 10 to 4, Creekview Park in Minneapolis. Thank you so much for being a part of the program. We appreciate the work that you are doing in community to break these generational curses and to make sure all of us uh, develop um, an understanding and a love for the water. Absolutely. Thank you. And I would be remiss if I didn't shout out Dr. Ayanna Raku, who actually does the swim portion of the program. So thank you so much to her and thank you for having me. Yes, honey, it takes a village. We all play a part and a role in that healing process. All right, get your popcorn, cross your legs, bring your tea, because when we come back, we're going to be talking about the dirt, honey, the tea, spilling it about this coronation across the pond. It is uh, 144. Papa's got a brand new bag. And they have a new king and queen, Charles and Camilla. And, and so, you know, I, I, I've been talking about this on my podcast at ShalettaMakesMeLaugh.com. I've been talking about this on social media and, and just didn't, I didn't think I was going to be talking about it on the show today. And then the first interview. At 11 o'clock was Haley Matthews Jones. She's the COO for the Get Down Coffee Company. And I heard that British accent. And before I could ask her, she started talking to me about it. So she's taking some time to come back to the show because it's a bookend. She at the beginning of the show and she at the end of the show. And we're going to dive in to what is going on with the coronation and the royal. So, Haley, I am glad that you came back, girlfriend, because I need somebody to cross my legs and eat this popcorn and drink this tea with because I am feeling some kind of way about this coronation. I I just, I don't know. I don't know, girl. I I promise to God, I was sitting here, God forgive me for being petty, uh, but I was sitting here hoping the damn crown would fall off. I did. I didn't want nothing bad to happen. I just want the crown to fall off. You know, that is just the right level of petty for me. I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Okay, now this is this is the problem I have. And 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 um you know, you, you let me know how you're feeling about it. Yeah. Um I I just I, I don't appreciate a couple of things. I don't appreciate that the mistress is now the queen. That's 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 the first, I could probably just stop right there. Uh, you you know I, I'll let you go, but that's that's where I'm I, I'm at. Uh, the the mistress, the woman that we all know you cheated on your wife with, the the your 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 children's dead mother. She gets to be the queen. I've I've got a problem with that. I I would agree. I think that that is a big part of it for a lot of people in the UK. Um, you know, in that era, like the Diana and Charles era, it was so rubbed in everybody's faces on the newspaper every day and in the news every night. And um, so I think it was handled so poorly that I think that stood out to everyone. And then obviously when Diana died, it became even even more significant, right? Mm-hmm. And I, like, I'm just thinking today, as, as a friend of mine posted a story on Instagram that was just the picture of Diana in her revenge dress. You remember yes, that? Yes, I remember. She was looking good too, girl. She was looking good. Amazing. And so I just like I just keep thinking of that and I'm like, oh yeah, it's it's sad that like you said, it feels like a reward for uh just how they how everything was handled in that era and then finally, mm-hmm. you know, it's like she wins, which just you know, it just rubs people the wrong way, I think. And as a like I think there's a generational um, kind of divide on this in the UK as well, where people in the older generation are a lot more pro-royal. And I think my generation and below 
kind of each generation that goes by becomes more and more jaded by it because it just feels like a big old waste of money and a, a family that is out of touch with real people and yes you know Yes. Okay. I I was thinking that too. I'm like, you know, when you start thinking about economics, how many millions, if not billions of dollars have they spent on this event? You're looking at the crown and all the jewels that we know are real. Okay. This is not knockoff stuff. Yeah. And, and, (laughs) and the, and the robes and the tapestry and everything and the pomp and circumstance, just the, just the girl, the security alone, um, and, you know, basically have shut it down for the day and spent all this money and all this time when there are so many other and bigger issues. And, and I'm looking and thinking all these people can't be drinking the Kool-Aid, but there are protests. But I'm watching CNN and they're rounding up the protesters and they're arresting them because they don't want. <laughs> yeah, trying to keep, keep a lid on it all. Yeah, it's um, there's definitely a divide. And I think right now, especially there's like so much austerity in the UK and cutbacks on things and people are really struggling post pandemic. And I think it just feels, it feels very out of touch to even host an event like that in the way that they have. And, you know, also the the stuff with um, Harry and Meghan that came Mm. out in the past year or so, like, I think that resonates really strongly for people of a younger generation, just the openness about mental health and the, I mean, it, it was bullying and intimidation that they were put through. And, you know, so it's, it, it feels like people on the younger generation are a lot more in on that side of things. Yeah. Sympathizing with Harry and Meghan and how it's just a kind of a repeat of the same machine that chewed Diana up and spat her out. So, yeah, I think it, you know, it feels, um, yeah, it just feels weird to watch stuff like that happening as if none of that ever happened. Yeah, and, and and it's so funny because we're so much more aware now. You know, when when it happened to Diana, it was rumors. It was, you know, a, we never heard from her um, like the way we're hearing from Megan and Harry, where they immediately left. Um, she felt like, you know, she was kind of stuck in that situation. And when they came out, they told their story, um, you know, sued the tabloids and won. Um, a judgment, um, financial, as well as an apology. And and so to, um, you know, to have that information, and then we are more aware um, with news coverage um, and real-time stories and social media, um, you know, in a way that, you know, the older generation just did not have that kind of access to the truth. Right, right. And I think just more openness around, as I said, like the the mental health aspect of it and Mm -hmm. how, the pressure and the uh, spotlight in that way can be so damaging. Um, so I think it was really refreshing for Megan and Harry to like speak about that in that way. And um, I think that just really resonates with kind of where the world is more today mm-hmm. is that people are open about those types of things. And it's less about, uh, you know, sweeping stuff under the carpet and keeping up appearances. Yeah. And, and and the thing, too, that I noticed and, you know, it could me just be me being extra sensitive. But I looked and I've been looking all day, but I saw maybe Lionel Richie and about three other black people. 
um, mm-hmm. and the only other black people that were there were performing. And I remember yeah. when, you know, Megan and Harry were talking about how racist they were and how they wanted to know what the baby's skin color would be and how dark the child would be. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they said, no, 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 we're not racist. We have black friends. And then they start trotting out all these black people and they were saying, yes, we're friends. Give me my check. And, and mm-hmm. then, you know, so now today is the time where you show your black friends. You're having a big yeah. old party. Uh, and, yeah. and I don't see the black black friends that they claim they have if you have black friends if you love black people or people of any color and and you have a big old coronation um and you getting crowned that's when your black friends show up so i specifically i'm sorry just me being petty i took a list of the names of the people that they tried it out uh when uh they were saying they were not racist when harry and megan said that they clearly were and none of those folks um that they had um, trotted out during media interviews um, are there this day for the big coronation and in fact the only couple of black people who are there are in service the singers yep. or celebrities Lionel Richie and Katy Perry did you notice that too or was it just me I did I, and it feels yeah pretty icky it's yeah it's pretty gross and it, it just feels like the, the same old kind of uh, you know very curated manufactured like very carefully uh, managed, you know, you don't want to have anything there or anyone who might step out of line or say something you don't agree with, or, you know, I'm sure that the, the guest list for all of that was tightly, tightly guarded and, you know, nobody who's going to say anything that they maybe wouldn't want said or, you know, so I'm sure that it's, it's all just kind of the, I don't know what the word for it is. Maybe staged. It's like it's yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's like when you know you got to sell your house and you have the nice fancy pillows and the alpaca rug and you're like, man, I wish we could really live like this. And and that's the thing that we never understood until now. We thought when we were watching Diana that this was the happiest day of her life, and then she tells us how sad she was. And then we're watching Megan and 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 we're thinking, wow, we wish we could do this. We wish we could be her and you know we're hearing her on Oprah tell her story and it's just not what we thought it was and and so I'm just glad that we have this transparency where people can speak their truth and they're not you know operating in the machine but yeah it's a machine girl it is absolutely staged and it's interesting as well because I think even at the time that Diana first came into the family she was pushing the boundaries on so many things that they would never have done before even just you know, hugging members of the public, doing hospital visits and holding children in her lap. Like, that sounds so basic to us now, but that was never done. Like, the royals would net, like, you don't touch a royal person. That's, like, the rule, you know? So for her to be just interacting like that and so warmly was, at the time, super groundbreaking. And you would think that they would have learned from that, that actually that's what the public resonated with, was someone who felt, real and who had emotions and showed that they genuinely cared about, you know, other people and different different people from different places. And yet it seems like they kind of didn't really learn anything from that and have gone back to that, nope, we're this separate institution and it's us and them. And, you know, it's a shame because I think they had such an opportunity with William and uh, Harry to kind of bridge some of that gap and really like make it more approachable and fresh and they they kind of didn't so i get the impression that a lot of people in the uk the the coronation of charles is just kind of a you know it's a 
process thing and that's what we have to go through. But then hopefully when uh, William becomes king, maybe then we would actually start to see some change. Maybe. I don't know. Girl, well, I tell you, I have enjoyed this discussion. I did not think I was going to have somebody to talk about it that had some <laughs> insight. But, baby, yeah. when you came on this show and I heard that uh, British accent, I said, oh, no, girlfriend is coming back. And I'm so it glad you took the time to chat with me. Uh, we've been hanging out with Haley Matthews-Jones. Uh, she is, in her official capacity, the COO of the Get Down Coffee Company. But on this show, she's my royal insider. That's what they call the people that talk. Uh, <laughs> Haley, yes, you are, my, you are my royal insider, girl. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. It has been fun. I appreciate it. Okay, and bye-bye. thank you, bye bye, and thank y'all for hanging out with me. Now, listen, just because I'm leaving and my show is over, that does not mean you turn off this dial. Tom, Linnea, Brenda, Jabbar, y'all stick around because the one and only Steve Thompson is coming up next. He's on from two to three, and then he's got his Twins Magazine show. And let me tell you, when I was producing on Saturdays, it was my favorite part of the day because Steve takes such great care in picking out sound bites and making sure that, you know, he's got everything you need to know about those twins. He's got great interviews and insider tidbits and tips and information. He takes this business seriously. I'm telling you, Steve is one of the few people in this town, in this state, I think it's he and maybe Mike Max who can talk sports and politics and community events. And then he turns around and does TikTok and, you know, doesn't miss a beat. And we are so just blessed. He's a man of many talents. Yeah, we're blessed to have him on our team. I tell you, I just love Steve. So now, Josh, the pregame is coming up when? Pregame's at 430 and first pitch is at 510. All right, all right. Now, who are we playing today? We're playing the Cleveland Guardians. Oh, it's going to be a fight at my house. Yeah, it's going to be, yeah, because Sean's from Cleveland. Let me go ahead and put my fighting clothes, put some Vaseline on my face, and take my earrings off. If you hear any noise, it's just me and my boys fighting over this Twins game. You guys have a great weekend. Don't go anywhere. Steve Thompson's coming up next. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 